0: Psalm chapter 19. This has been attributed to David, a psalm of David. Psalms are often a rich treasure trove for God's people. A treasure trove for every believer. In them we learn often of who God is. We learn about what God has done. We find truths to which we can relate to. David was a a man after God's own heart. A man that struggled with sin. A man that that struggled in, in dark times. A man that had great times in the Lord. As we read through the Psalms, as you study those 150 chapters... Undoubtedly, you will find things for all areas of your life. As I said, it is a rich treasure trove for every believer. In the Psalms, we find depths of truth. And as you study them, I promise you, in your life, you can never unearth all of the truth that is there in the Psalms. You'll never go wrong by by looking to them, studying them, meditating on them, and memorizing them. And as a pastor, I love to preach them. And this Psalm chapter 19 truly is an amazing psalm. And I hope to help you see that here this morning. As I said, it's a psalm of David. And it's a beautiful psalm at that. Here in this psalm, David wants us all to know the goodness of God. He wants us to know the greatness of God. He wants us to know about the beauty of God and the grace of God. In this this psalm, David, he's inspired of the Holy Spirit to teach us how God has revealed Himself to us. How this God of the universe, the God who is, the God who made you, He has revealed Himself to you. Two of the ways that he has done that are right here in this psalm, in verses six, or sorry, in verses one through six, David will teach us here that God he has revealed Himself through His creation. That when we look to God's creation, we see Him. We look to God's creation; He is speaking to us. He has revealed Himself through what He has made. God, He could have made this world plain and bland. He could have made it empty and without the depth of beauty that it has. But He didn't. God, He, he diligently designed it like a meticulous engineer. He put His character in it. And He has displayed His attributes through it. His creation in all of its splendor, and all of its beauty, it points us to a glorious God. A glorious God who speaks to us through what He has made. David's going to tell us not only in creation. God didn't stop there. He is the God who speaks. He is the God who has given us His Word. He is the God who has provided for us graciously the depths and the knowledge of Him that we would know Him. That we would be able to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with with him. This gracious God of the universe, he desires to be known by his creatures. He is desired to make his glory known to us. He desires that every single one of us would know of his love. That we would not be those who are left in the dark to figure this out on our own. But instead, he has lit the path beneath our feet by providing us with his inspired word he has told us who he is and he has told us what he has done he has revealed himself in a special way through his inspired word and david will teach us that here this morning in verses 7 through 11 and this morning in psalm chapter 19 as we look at how god has revealed himself in creation and we look at how He has revealed Himself in His Word, and we we learn of all of who He is, then we must ask, what is the response of man? And David, he shows us the right response in verses 11 through 14. This is what we are going to look at this morning. Psalm chapter 19. As we look at it, there is a reason that God created the world as He did, There is a reason that God created us as He did. There is a reason that God has put His Word in Scripture. He did all this specifically to declare His glory. As a family, we often uh, watch nature shows. We like those. Sometimes you can find a Christian one. One's, one that I highly recommend is called Ride of the Dance, if you ever can find it. But that is a great one. Oftentimes we are forced to watch secular ones. And those men that, that put those on, oftentimes it's, it's nothing less than blasphemy often. Well, I love to watch them because I want to see how God created the world. They often attribute things that only God can do things like mother nature you listen to them and they'll talk about how amazing evolution is that it could create something like this they often speak of the utter absurdity that everything came from nothing they ascribe what is due to God to these worthless ideologies but here in this psalm in this psalm chapter 19 david desires the reader to do the exact opposite as we look out and we see god's creation david desires that we would give glory to god that we would ascribe god his due glory for the wondrous creation that he made and as i said this is the very reason god created created us to glorify Him, to give to Him the glory that He is due. When we look to His creation, when we look to His Word, when we look to what God has done, we should do just that. Glorify the God who is in heaven. What David's going to tell us here in these first six verses of Psalm chapter 19, it's obvious. What he's getting ready to talk about, this should be plain and obvious for us all to see. That this is clearly perceived, it's, it's clear that this is how God created the world. And all should be without excuse. Because God has clearly revealed himself in creation. And we will see that here in Psalm chapter 19. There in verse 1, David, he declares, he says, that the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, David, he looks up to the blue sky. Notice that God, He created us with the ability to look up. David, He he looks up to the, the blue sky, He looks up to the night sky, and He looks at the wonder of all of it is, and He says... God, He has made this. These heavens above me, they declare the glory of God. And it's obvious. Like I said, he's, he's writing this and this should be plain for us to see. It's clearly perceived as we look to God's creation. It should be plain and clear for all of us to see that they are declaring to us the glory of God. And this is why the Scriptures say that it's folly to reject it. This is why the Scriptures say that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because clearly, without a shadow of a doubt, creation declares, it does not whisper. What does David say? It declares the glory of God. And this is obvious to David. The beauty of heavens, of the heavens, what are they declaring? That someone beautiful had to make them. The power of God's creation, what is it declaring? That someone powerful had to make it. The stability of God's creation. As you look up to the sky, that night sky, it's it's, it's constant. It's declaring to us. The faithfulness of God. David, he states in verses 2 and 3 that while there are no words, there is a constant, unceasing speaking to us through God's creation. One commentator said about it that it's a, a silent sermon. And it's an unceasing, silent sermon. Day in and day out. God's creation is speaking to us. And it is speaking to us of the glorious God of the universe. Ask yourself this morning, as you look to the sky, what is it saying to you? Is it saying to you that the God of the universe is powerful? Is it saying to you that the God of the universe is a brilliant architect? Is it saying to you this morning, as you look at what He has made, He must be far more grand than that. And are you saying, the God who made this is worthy of my praise? Because that's what God is saying through His creation. Is it saying to you that this God who made it is gracious? That He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? That He allows sinners to live in His great creation? should be. It should be teaching us every single day of our lives as we behold the beauty of what God has made. It should be telling us, teaching us of who God is. God, He's speaking to us through His creation. Older translations say that the heavens preach to us. I think that's profound to think about. And often, as Americans, we can't slow down and think about that. Oftentimes, we need to stop and think about how big our God is. And He has declared to us how giant, how powerful, how mighty, how majestic He is. How brilliant He is with the way that He made this world. And it's obvious. Romans 1.20 makes this point. For since creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Clearly seen. And being understood through what has been made. That is, we all know it. So we are without excuse that's what romans 120 teaches that we all know this truth that creation teaches us who god is it speaks to us about god in verse 4 david says similar there much like in romans chapter 1 verse 20 that the creation it speaks of god and it speaks of god to everyone In other words, no one's missing this. No one doesn't get this. Creation is telling us day and night that there is a God. And God has made certain that His creation is telling everyone this message. God was not quiet about it. If you ever study animals, if you ever study the human body, if you ever study God's creation, He... He didn't make this difficult to understand. I was sick last week. I got better and I didn't do anything. God did that. God created us that way. His creation is teaching us. It's telling us. And He made it the way He made it incredibly sophisticated so that all would know. So that all would be Without excuse. And David tells us here that all do. All hear this message. All hear what creation speaks to us. So that atheist that you know down the street, they know as well as you know that this could not happen on accident. That everything cannot come from nothing. Nothing. The very first equation they teach you in grade school is zero times zero is zero. Nothing cannot create everything. And what the scriptures teach is written on our hearts, every single one of us know that God created the heavens and the earth. And Romans chapter 1 teaches that that atheist down the street, how does he deny this? He's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. He looks at what creation declares to Him and He suppresses it in unrighteousness. No, the Scriptures do not teach that everything comes from nothing. Quite the contrary, they speak that heaven, that the heavens constantly speak to us. They constantly speak to everyone on this planet to the glory of God. That the God who made them not only exist, but his, he is glorious. David, he's going to go on in verses four to six to speak of one of God's most marvelous creations in all the earth, the sun. The sun is constantly declaring to us the greatness of God. It's constantly declaring to us the, the glory of God, the sun like a, a candle. David, he he compares it to something being under a tent or a tabernacle. So it's it's like a light in a tent that lights up God's creation. He compares it to a bridegroom coming out of his chambers. That bridegroom would be radiant and glowing and gleaming. He compares it to a strong man who's running a race. In other words, the sun moves across the sky unwavered, undaunted, Having the endurance to to constantly shine, never ceasing to do its work that God created it to do. The sun truly is amazing. David, he finishes verse 6 by saying that nothing is hidden from its heat. Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought of the sun? Think of the God who creates the sun. After this morning, please, never think of the sun the same way. It is powerful from such a long distance away. You know how, long, how far away it is? Some 92 million miles away. And yet, we cannot stand in its presence without protection. Astonishing. Astonishing. 92 million miles away? Can you imagine the power of the sun? And you can't go out there for a week without protection. The sun can kill us from 92 million miles away? Are you kidding me? It is an amazing creation. And what is it declaring to us? What does it speak to us? Every single morning when we see it again, What is it teaching us that the God who made it is far more powerful than it? That this is something that he just spoke into existence. This is something he said, let there be a sun and there was a sun. Can you imagine the God who made this sun that can kill us from 92 million miles away? Dr. Steve Lawson, he saw a connection between God and the sun. God, he made the sun for a very specific purpose to reflect him. He says this God is like the noonday sun, bright and blinding in the radiance of his glory. God, he is high and exalted above man like the sun. He is unceasing and tireless in his work as the sun. He's powerful in all that he does. He reaches out to the ends of the earth and he enlightens and empowers all people. This is the characteristics of God. Going back to the sun, Steve Lawson says, Nothing is hidden from its heat. In other words, the sun is always at work in all places, just like God, its creator. The glory of God is clearly seen in the sun. As it makes its daily journey across the skies, it pours out its heat on every creature, making its presence felt. So it is with God, making Himself known through the sun. The attributes of God are clearly perceived from His grand creation. And David, he wants us to get this point. The glory of God is on display for us. As we look at God's creation, we should never think of it the same. But David, he does not stop there. See, God is not a far off and distant, powerful God that, that, that doesn't know his creation. No, he is that great and mighty, powerful God, but he's also near to his creatures. He has not made Himself unknowable. Quite the contrary, He's made Himself known and He desires that each and every one of us would know Him in a personal way. He desires His creatures to know His glory, to know of His love, to know of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has made it certain in this world that we have no excuse not to know Him. He has not only declared through His creation who He is, He has given us immense detail of who He is through His divine, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. And that's what David is going to talk to us about in verses 7 through 11. There David calls the Word of God the law. As you read through the Old Testament Scriptures and you see that word, it's often shorthand for the Scriptures. And so David, he speaks of the Word of God. You know, creation is great. Learning about it as Christians is great. And as as we look at creation, it should strengthen all of our faith. But apart from Christ, the best creation can ever do is give someone a fuzzy view of God. It takes His Word to transform us. It takes His Word to speak of who He is and what He has done. It takes His Word to give us life in the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. It takes His Word to teach us how to be in a right relationship with this glorious God who created the heavens. And David says of that Word, In Psalm chapter 19, that it is perfect. It's perfect. You could translate that word, it is sufficient. It's not lacking. It's complete. The New Testament has a verse for this. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There it says, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It goes on to say, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture is adequate for us. Scripture is sufficient for us for every good work that we would ever do in life. It is complete. It's what what we need. It's perfect for us. It equips us for faith and practice. You might ask, how do I know His will? How do I know about Him? How do I get to know God more? How do I know Christ who died on the cross? How do I know what God would have me do in this life? David would say to you, look at His perfect Word. Look to His sufficient Word. David says there in verse seven that it converts the soul. That this word it's it's living, it's active, it's powerful in the hearer's life. You could translate it, it revives the soul, it refreshes the soul, it restores the soul. You could say it repairs the soul. I like all those translations because it's all true of the Word of God. So this perfect work, it can transform lives. This perfect Word of God, it can transform your very life. It can refresh the weary. It can restore the wayward. It can repair the brokenhearted. The Word of God is sufficient for us. It can change us from the inside out. It can transform the very person that we are. See, God, He, he works through His Word. The Holy Spirit, he, he works through His Word to change our lives. David continues saying of the Word of God that the testimony of the Lord is sure. Is sure. He's saying that the Word of God is trustworthy. Trustworthy. It's faithful. It's certain. It's reliable. If you read it in here, you can believe it. If you read it in here, God has said it. If you read it in here, it is the will of God for your life. It is certain. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. And it's the best way. If God said it, that finishes it. If God said it, that's what's best. If God said it, that's His very will. It is trustworthy. It is reliable. In verse seven, He says it's able to make the simple wise. Simple here can mean foolish. Simple here can mean gullible. It's speaking of someone that is easily deceived, or they're easily given over to what is false. They they believe the lie. What David is teaching us here is Scripture contains the power to make the fool wise. I want you to think about that this morning. You got people in your life, you're like, they'll never change. They'll never get this. You know what you should encourage them to do? Read the Word. Read it often. Read it day in and day out. Study it. Know God through His Word because what's it say here? The gullible, those who are given over to false teaching, those who believe the lies, it's able to make them wise. Do you believe this? The Word of God changes people. Verse 8, David says that the statutes of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord are right. In other words, The Word of God is never going to steer you wrong. The Word of God is never going to misdirect you. It is always good advice. It's always a righteous command. It is always the very will of God for your life. It is to be followed. It's to be studied. It's to be lived out. And as we do live it out, as we keep the commandments of God, we can be certain that what we are doing is right. Because the statutes of the Lord are right. I get asked as a pastor a lot about doing the will of God. How can I be certain that I'm doing the will of God in my life? Well, is how you're living your life from the Word of God? Is your life built on the firm foundation of the Word of God as Jesus said? The wise men... Builds His life on His Word? Are you seeking to make your decisions in life in conformity to what God has said? Do you even know God through His Word? Are you seeking to know Him more and more? And I can promise you, the more you know this Word, the more you'll live it out. The more likely you will to be doing the very will of God in your life. It's right here. The will of God. David says of the revealed Word of God that the one who believes, the one who lives by it, the one who knows this Word, the one who knows who this Word points to, God Almighty, says there it will bring rejoicing to their hearts. That's what it says in verse 8. Rejoicing to the heart. Think of the beginning of this psalm. When you read about the majesty of God, does it bring joy to your heart? as you're reading your Bible and you read of the glorious cross of Christ, when you read about what Jesus has done, when you read about what this Lord's table symbolizes, when you read about all that Jesus did on that cross, when you read of the love of God, when you read of the mercy of God, when you read of the justice of God, when you read of the return of the King, does it cause your heart to rejoice? What David is teaching us this morning is that people that know the Word of God It will bring rejoicing to their hearts. Oftentimes we're looking for something more. We're looking for entertainment. We're looking for something beyond the Word of God. We're saying, this is not enough for me. But David says that people that get this, people that love God, will love reading His Word, love learning about Him, and the more they know Him, the more they will rejoice in Him. You see this in Paul's life. You see it in Paul's writing as you study the New Testament. Paul, he often, he starts speaking of, of deep truths of God. He'll start talking about the cross of Christ. He starts talking about what God has done for sinners and what's it ended up with? Rejoicing in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. In other words, when we know God, when we know the depths and the truth of who He is, when we have correct teaching from His Word, it leads us to worship Him. Rightly. It leads us to have joy, true joy, in our hearts. David says of the Word of God that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. A pure God inspires a pure word. In other words, this is without error. It's verses just like this, why I personally believe in inerrancy of Scripture. Since the God who is perfect inspired this Scripture, it cannot have error in it. It is pure in every way. Everything you read is profitable for you. Everything you read is the pure truth from God. Everything in this scripture is without error. It never causes us to sin. If we're reading it rightly, if we're obeying it rightly, it's not what's causing us to stumble. That's us. It's pure for us. And here David says it has the power to enlighten our eyes. The more we read, the more we know. The more we read, the more we learn of God. The more we read, the more we think His thoughts after Him. The more we read, the more we walk in a Christ-like manner. The more we read, the more the Scriptures are the lamp unto our feet. Think of the imagery there. We are walking in a dark world. Scriptures talk about the unbeliever as groping around and not being able to see where they go. The Scriptures are the lamp for the believer. They give us our direction in life. They show us our pathway in life. They show us what is pleasing to the Lord in our life. They are the lamp unto our feet. They are the firm foundation when everything else is as sinking sand. In verse 9, David says, The the fear of the Lord is clean. Another word for pure. Pure speaking again of the, the purity of the Word of God. He says there that it is enduring forever. Enduring forever. Many things in this world come and go. Not the Word of God. Many have said that the, the Word of God would become abs, obsolete. That atheism would eventually take over and the Word of God would be, would be relegated to dumpsters. It's the best-selling book in the world and continues to be. The Word of God will endure. It will endure. And Jesus said in His own words, the Word of God made flesh, the one who has inspired Genesis to Revelation. This is His Word. And what did He say about His Word? That heaven and earth would pass away, but My words will by no means pass away. With all of this, as we, as we hear David, he's, he's bringing out the, the depths of God's Word to us. The riches that are found in God's Word to us. With all this being true of the Word of God, how badly do we need to take it in? How badly do we need to discipline ourselves to take in this Word into our lives? As a pastor, I cannot plead with you enough Take in the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Do it daily. After seeing these these amazing attributes of God's Word, how badly do we need to feast on all that it has to offer? David says of that Word in verse 10, that it's fulfilling for us. It's satiating to us. He says there that it's, it's, more to be, it's to be desired more than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold. He says it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. It's verses like these that can help you understand why men have given their lives over the centuries to ensure that we have the Word of God. Why? It's priceless. This is where our souls are satisfied. This is where we learn of our Creator. This is where we learn of who God is. This is where we learn about all that Christ has done for us. It is here where our insatiable thirst is quenched. It is here where our hunger is found to no longer be. It is here that we are satiated. This Word of God is like a feast from heaven. It's heavenly bread as Jesus Christ called it. This is water for our souls. we find right here in this Word what we have been longing for our whole life. We find the precious life-giving words that are living and active in the hearer's life. And you might be thinking this morning, like, this is too much. You're putting the Word of God in too high a place. Isn't our focus supposed to be God Isn't our focus supposed to be Christ? This is His very words. The Word of God can be placed in this high place because I want you to think of your own words this morning. When you speak, it's a reflection of who you are. You're telling people about yourself. Your words are your own. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we speak, people know who we are. Inside and out. And so when this word speaks to us, we know God. And we know the very heart of God. It's that important. And so as you think about this, this is priceless. Jesus called the word of God pearls. Here David says it's it's to be desired more than gold, than any possession. This is your most valuable possession of all of your life, the Word of God. Sweeter than any food. More precious than any possession. Jesus said that the inscripturated Word is like pearls from God. And we should think of it. And knowing that this is how God has described His own word. This is what He has said. Of His own inspired word, we should not neglect it. We should not despise it or reject it. We should read it and we should seek to to mine it for all of its worth. In verse 11, David tells us of... Of more attributes of the Word of God. He tells us there that the Word of God warns us. That found in the Word of God are warnings. That God, He has graciously given us warnings. And one of the reasons we so desperately need to read our Word. We need, we need to be in the Word, we need to know the Word, we need to see what God has said, is because we need to hear the warnings from Scripture. So many people are trying to redefine what God has said nowadays. So many people are picking and choosing from Scripture what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. But here David tells us that God has inspired warnings in Scripture. And those are for us those are for us to take seriously. Those are for us not to ignore. We should believe them. Scripture, it defines sin for us. Oftentimes in Scripture, we have examples of people's lives that we're not to emulate. We have examples of false teaching. We have examples uh, examples of faithlessness. We have examples in Scriptures that warn us what we should not do. In Scripture, we see the warnings of unbelief. In Scripture, we see the warnings of rejecting Jesus Christ. In Scripture, we see the warnings from Jesus Himself speaking of an eternal hell. If the Word of God made flesh, warns us of hell, Jesus Christ, I think we should take those warnings seriously. So many people want to say that a loving God won't send people to hell. I have news for you. Jesus Christ is the incarnate living God who is love, and He will send people to hell because He said it. And what He say of Himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not like us. He cannot lie. He cannot speak a lie. And so when Jesus says that there is a lake that burns with fire and many will find their way there, we should take his warnings seriously. We have warnings in Scripture of those who have not trusted in his name. God has been so gracious to warn us about sin, And keeping sin in our life, God has been so gracious to warn us about the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking who he may devour. God has so graciously warned us about lies of the enemy, about false teaching. So often in the New Testament we we hear about false teaching. We, We hear the gracious warnings of God from the Scriptures about false teaching about error. As Christians, we should heed those warnings. We should listen. When God has inspired His Word to warn us, we should pay attention. We see the constant warnings in Scripture not to turn away from Christ. To not to be faithless. To have a true, living faith. To not fall away. To be apostate. We also see in Scripture the commands of God. The call to obey those commands. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And David tells us for those who are obedient to Scripture, there is great reward. And perhaps the most important thing that we must heed in Scripture is the call to repent and to believe the Gospel. The call to trust on the only Son of God who can save you. And we know, for all who have called on His name, there truly is great reward. John 3.16 teaches us that they will not perish. They will Receive eternal life. So David, he's taught us of this glorious God who's revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through his word. David, after, after expressing all of these attributes about God and about his word, this is his response. This is to be the creature's response. This is to be our response. As we look to God's creation, we see the holy and powerful God, and we look to His Word and see what He says. Our response should be that of David. And in short, it's repentance. It's a broken and contrite heart. It's a humble man pleading with God. That's what we see in verses 12 through 14. It's as if David has peered in to the perfect standard of God. He's peered into his word and he has seen his own deep imperfection. He's seen that he is a a sinner to his core. I fall so short of this. He's seeing his deep need for the cleansing power of God. He's seeing his deep need for God's restraining hand in his life that he may not sin against God. As he looks to God's word, he sees how far he falls from God's standard. And ask yourself this morning where does he get this knowledge? Where can you get this knowledge? Where are the self righteous humbled? comes through the Word of God. This this Word should be sharper than a sword in our hearts. It should crush us. It should bruise us. It should bring us low so that we can trust in the only name under heaven to which we can be saved. It is when we are weak That is where we see our desperate need for Christ. And this is where David gets to. And I'm going to tell you this morning, it only comes through the Word of God. I also believe from this text, this is not a time of life where there's some egregious sin in David's life. I do not believe this is a time of his life where he has had that adulterous affair with Bathsheba and and called for the murder of Uriah the Hittite. I don't think that's where this is. You can hear from David's words that this is a secret sin, that he's asking God to help him understand his errors. I'm going to tell you this morning, is you cannot discern your own heart. You are far more sinful than you even know yourself to be. And that's what we see here from David in verse 12. He doesn't even know how sinful he is. He doesn't even know the depths of his own depravity. And so as he looks to the Word of God, as he studies the Word of God, as he sees the standards of the Word of God, what's he go to God and ask? God, reveal my sin to me. Help me see the errors in my life. Help me see these secret faults, these secret sins. And he asks God, as he confesses these sins to God, what's he ask? He says, cleanse me. Cleanse me, Lord, from these secret faults. These are the thoughts in David's life, like your life, that he wants no one to know about. These are the things hidden in his heart that he so desperately hears, you can hear his heart's cry, God, get these out of me. Remove these from me. Take these from my life. I don't want the sins in my life that you hate. You might ask yourself this morning, how can I get here where David is? Well, it comes through hearing His Word. It comes through receiving His Word. It comes through listening to His Word, reading His Word, studying His Word. It comes from you being conformed to the Word of God. It comes from your mind being renewed. From you turning away from the ways of the world and conforming your mind to the Word of God. And so how does David know of those secret sins? How does he know about those errors in his own heart? He's having his mind transformed by the words of God. He's learning how to think God's thoughts after him. He's learning how to desire the things of God. Look how he goes even further in verse 13. He says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. You could translate it, willful sins. These are high-handed sins. This is probably after David has repented and confessed that horrible sin that everyone knows about for, throughout all of history. His adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. He's asking God here in verse 13, please no more of those in my life. Please no more of that in my life. I don't want to go back there, God. And what's he say the next line? He says, let sin, let these willful sins not have dominion over me. Rule over me. Here is the battle of a believer. This is the battle of our hearts. We are to be killing sin. We are to be warring against sin. And hear David here crying out to God, asking God, let sin not rule me. You rule me, God. And what's his desire? His desire is to grow in holiness. His desire is to grow in what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at what he says there in verse 13. Then I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. Look at his dependence on God here. Cleanse me from my secret sins. Keep me back from these willful sins. Let these sins not have dominion over me, God. I need you, God, so that I may be innocent of great transgression in my life. David, he, he finishes this psalm with a deep desire in his heart to do what is acceptable to God. That the words of his mouth and the thoughts of his heart would be acceptable to God. In other words, David, he desires that he would think God's thoughts and that he would speak God's words. That his mind would be conformed to God. That in his heart he wouldn't desire sin but instead he would desire to do what is pleasing to the Lord. If you see that, see that there in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. David is asking God, change me from the inside out, God. You might ask this morning, how how can I get this? How can this happen in my life? How can I get to a place where the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to the Lord? Well, First and foremost, it can only come through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It can only come through those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. It can only come through God Himself working in your life. And as God works in your life, you as an individual should seek to know his word. How do you know what to do? How do you know what is acceptable to the Lord? It's found here in his word. How do you get the meditation of your heart to be changed? You study his word. As I said earlier, you hear his word. You're coming to the services. You're hearing the Word of God preach. You're receiving the Word of God. It's changing you. It's changing you from the inside out. Remember, it's it's powerful. It's perfect. It works in the hearer's life. It's living and active. You're hearing. You're listening. You're reading. You're studying the Word of God. See, David is being changed he has a desire to be changed from the inside out. And why do you think he's gone on? He's just extolled the Word of God. He has is, he is lifted up the Word of God. He's talked about how powerful the Word of God is. He's talked about how true and perfect the Word of God is. He talked about how it's able to revive the soul, convert the soul, refresh the soul. What David wants us to know is this life. It comes through the Word of God this repentance that he's found in his life, it comes through the Word of God. He's pushing us this morning to know the Word of God. If there is ever a message for modern American Christianity, it is this message. We live in a land where people have no clue what God has said. My wife's own testimony When she speaks of it, the God she knew before she studied the Scriptures was not God. She thought she had this lifelong relationship with the Lord. When God saved me, I then challenged her to read the Scriptures for herself. And you know what she found? A God that was so different than the God she thought she knew. So many Christians, people that profess to know Christ, have absolutely no clue who He is. And I want to challenge every single one here today. Know God through His Word. He took the time to inspire 66 books of the Bible and to preserve it to this day that we would still have it. Not for us to neglect it, but for us to take it in, to study it, to know it. This morning I ask you, do you, know, do you, do you need to know the will of God for your life? Do you need to have the, your eyes open more and more to sin in your life, to the things of the Word of God in your life? Do you need a lamp to guide your life this morning? Do you need to see more and more of your sin in your life this morning? Do you need to see the very things in your life that Christ died for this morning? Do you have a desire to have your mind changed? To be more like Christ day in and day out? Then humble yourself this morning and come to His Word. Learn. Drink, as Christ would say. Eat, as Christ would say. Take it to your innermost. Know his word. Seek him. Find him. We've talked, we started this sermon out with talking about how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his creation. He speaks to us through his word. Today, God, he desires to speak to you. Will you seek and find his voice? through his word. I urge you today to do so. Please do so. I hope you have this heart today.